Hello and welcome to NC State's Audio Abstract. I'm your host, Tracy Peek. Robocalls are one of modern life's annoyances, and we've all heard that answering them only leads to receiving more. But is this true? A year-long study from NC State looked at how robocalls actually work and debunked a few myths along the way. We're speaking today with Brad Reeves, Assistant Professor of Computer Science here at NC State and co-author of the robocall study. Welcome, Brad. Hi, glad to be here. Let's start with some basic background on robocalls. How do these companies manage to get around FCC regulations concerning robocalls? How did we get to this point? Well, that's a, that is a great question. And uh, like all really hard problems, there's a lot of facets to it. Uh, on the one hand, uh, there is the technical side of the issue. It, the network went from being uh, operated by a single entity, the Bell system, to having uh, first a few major players who all could continue to trust each other. Uh, to having uh, now it's there's over 700 licensed telecommunications carriers in the United States alone. And so um, the reason that uh, this expansion is a, creates the robocall problem is that the, the technical side of the network was never designed to operate in a place where you had so many operators that you couldn't necessarily feel like you could trust anymore. The network had a built-in trust assumption um, that all calls were going to be uh, originated carefully and uh, lawfully. And so um, you you asked the question about, about the legal side. How, how do these robocallers, especially the scams, operate uh, without um, being prosecuted or, um, or, or sued? Uh, and there, there's a couple of answers to that as well. Um, and so the first of them is technical. Uh, it's simply incredibly hard to figure out where these calls are actually originating from. So, you know, we've, uh, there's one particular social security number scam where that I think we probably all have received at some point. Um, certainly we saw a lot of it in our data uh, about, you know, you get a call that says your social security number has been canceled. Uh, the question is, where did that call come from? It probably came from one call center someplace. But because of the way the phone network actually works, um, that the call that you receive didn't just come from your provider. Uh, it came from another provider who delivered it on behalf of another provider who delivered it on behalf of another provider. And this is what makes the phone network work. Uh, and um, the ability to be flexible with call routing is one of the th reasons why uh, telecommunication costs have declined over the years. Uh, but at the same time, it makes it harder to even identify um, who should be prosecuted or targeted. On the back end of the problem, once you do identify one of these operations, the, uh, the FCC or FTC, depending on um, which regulatory body is actually pursuing a case, um, has to build a mountain of evidence, um, and that takes a lot of manpower. Similarly, uh, it costs a lot to bring these cases to judgment, and when they're successful, the uh, sort of shell companies that operate uh, these robocall scams uh, evaporate, and the judgments, um, the, the government just simply can't collect on them. So there is no one there to sue or collect from. They just vanish. 
essentially. Um, and, and that's in the case where they're actually operating domestically. Uh, there was a, a, a famous case a couple of years ago in 2018 where there was a single operation operating in Bangalore, India, that was in a, took up two stories of an office building, um, and they were perpetrating IRS scams. And uh, the <clears throat> and to actually prosecute that because the operation was happening internationally, it took a um, large and coordinated effort of uh, American law enforcement and uh, law enforcement agencies in India to actually do the takedown. And so you can imagine the the level of work that it took just to even have the meetings between the, the relevant parties for that to happen, much less to actually accomplish it. Yeah, that's amazing. And it brings me to a related question, which is, you know, obviously there's a profit here. Do we have any idea how much money people make off of robocalls? I know for myself personally, I just don't answer the phone anymore, but you know, I guess not everyone is me. So how does this work? So that's a, you know, that's a great question. And, uh, and by the way, you're, you're not alone. Most people have stopped answering the phone w with these scams and there's, um, and there's been a lot of side effects of that. Uh, one of the problems is that uh, now COVID-19 contact tracers uh, can't reach people because they don't answer uh, numbers they don't recognize. Um, so there's a lot of consequences of that. But coming back to your question of uh, the financial incentives, these are always perpetrated with a business model. And it's one that uh, seems to be reasonably successful. Um, if it weren't, we wouldn't have seen a relatively flat volume over the course of our study. We also uh, know from cases that have actually been successfully prosecuted that the perpetrators do walk away with millions of dollars. Uh, and that's because these are, are long running operations. And you're, you know, most people, don't answer, don't answer these. And if you do answer and you hear that your social security number has been canceled, you laugh and you hang up. Uh, but there are some people and, um, and they're often vulnerable populations, um, uh, elderly people who may be uh, easily confused or um, maybe more trusting. Um, uh, and another uh, very popular target population is uh, is immigrants, um, recent uh, people who have recently arrived to this country who uh, don't quite understand the norms of how our government agencies work, uh, may not know that the IRS doesn't call you to demand uh, payment in iTunes gift cards. Um, and so the um, it there's a very small population of people that are susceptible, but when you get uh, when you get a hit, you can make thousands of dollars on that one uh, entity. And these scams uh, are fairly cheap to pull off. And that's another reason why uh, they're so prolific is the drastic reduction in cost of both telecommunications equipment. Uh, pretty much all of it is software now that uh, most of it you could download yourself. It wouldn't be that hard for you to set up a robocalling operation if you were technically savvy. And the other is that the actual cost of telecommunication service is um, also um, has gotten so much cheaper relative to what it would be that uh, it can be financially uh, 
profitable to do these scams in ways that they weren't in the past. And I made a comment earlier about the the carriers that these robocallers use. Um, And I want to say that there are a a lot of carriers out there uh, that are actively working on trying to stop this. And as soon as they identify that someone is uh, violating the law using their service, they terminate them. And of course, uh, and that includes most carriers that um, certainly you've heard of and that we've worked with, um, especially uh, our partner in this research, uh, Bandwidth. Um, and so, um, you know, they're, the scammers are making money off of this, uh, but it's really not helping the, uh, the telephone companies any. It's like whack-a-mole, basically. Every time you knock one down, you get three or four more just popping up and taking their place. Exactly. Um, and um, and I do want to say, you know, my uh, digression on, on the phone companies, uh, one of the, the points I was trying to come back around to is that because there are so many carriers that you could potentially purchase service from, as soon as you get knocked off one network, you just go and join another one. Yeah, you can do it in a matter of hours. Wow. So if you do actually fall for it, you know, the number on the screen looks familiar. And so you pick up the call. What happens? Like the popular conception is that somehow all the other robocall companies out there just know that they've got a live one and descend upon you like locusts. What actually happens? So that's a great question. And there, and it depends on who's calling you. Um, so we have, um, uh, we saw in our data that some some campaigns are going to try to call you back more than once, no matter what. Um, we saw that um, something like 60% of our robocalls, when we answer, there's nobody there. There's, there's nothing on the other end. And I think everybody has had this experience where you answer the phone and it's, it's just silence on the other end. Um, and so what's actually happening there is, is kind of interesting. Um, for a long time, the community assumed that this was uh, a robocallers scanning the phone space to try to build a list of people who are going to answer the phone that they can then resell. Uh, and, and there may be some of that going on. Um, we didn't see a lot of evidence for, us, for it in our study, uh, but it probably does happen a little bit. Most of the time, though, when you are uh, get answer one of those silent calls. What's actually happening is that uh, the robocallers, what they do is because uh, placing a phone call is so cheap and so easy, and they actually don't pay for it unless the call is actually connected, meaning somebody answers, they will use their software to say for each representative they have in the call center, they will send 10 or 15 calls at once. And at the exact same time, knowing that most people like you aren't going to answer. Uh, but when, but in the event that two people answer at the same time, whoever answered first is who gets their attention and the other one just sits silent until they hang up. When you hear that silence, you can just offer good wishes to the poor soul who answered a robocall somewhere else in the world. Say a little prayer for the person who got hit that day. One of the more annoying aspects of robocalls is the fact they can spoof numbers. And this can lead to something that in your survey of robocalls, you dubbed a storm of calls, and it sounds terrible. Can you walk me through what this is and how it happens? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, this the spoofing issue, um, by the way, is, is probably uh, one of the most important reasons why this, this problem is hard to solve. Because if 
um, robocallers, if, if it weren't possible to for them to spoof their caller ID to place any number that they wanted, we'd have a lot easier time finding out who is responsible. Um, and the their ability to do this is actually built into the phone network because it's a feature that lots of legitimate businesses use. Uh, for example, uh, say you know you call an airline customer service uh, hotline, and maybe you speak to Alice there, uh, and uh, perhaps uh, you get disconnected and Alice calls you back. Uh, the the airline doesn't want you to see Alice's desk line because, you know, if you needed to contact them again, you shouldn't call Alice, you should call their global 1-800 number. And so they will, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, spoof their own phone number to, to show that it was coming from their customer service line rather than Alice's desk. And that's an important feature, uh, but robocallers are abusing it. Now, um, this... One of the consequences of this is that it makes the the problem just very hard to solve. Um, but uh, another consequence it was uh, um, was these storms that you mentioned. And so to to kind of preface the explanation, uh, I've been working on robocalls for about five years now. And uh, along the way, when people ask what I do, and I, I say, "Oh, I work on robocalls," uh, the first thing I hear is, "Oh my God, I hate those. I get so many of them." Uh, but the second thing I, I would sometimes hear is uh, I would hear these stories. It, it was almost urban legend, but everybody had one where somebody's, um, you know, cousin's neighbor's dog walker got uh, hit with so many robocalls in one day that they they couldn't even answer the phone. And I I always chalked this up to some sort of weird urban legend or I because I never heard or met anyone it happened to firsthand. And so uh, when we were doing this study, we actually have, we were uh, monitoring 66,000 phone lines. Uh, in the process, um, this happened to us, uh, not once, but uh, hundreds of times when we started looking at the data. And uh, we were, we were, curious about what was happening. Why is this one number getting hit with so many robocalls out of the blue? It turns out that uh, when robocallers spoof a phone number, they don't check to see if anyone else is using it. And so what happens is that they will you know, place tens of thousands of calls claiming that particular number all at the same time. Now, and some fraction of those numbers are going to see a missed call and try to call back. And so uh, what happens is um, the, the technical term for this in, in computer security is a reflected denial of service attack, um, where they, uh, this, was, this is not intended by the robocallers. This is just kind of, um, uh, it's almost funny unless it happens to you. Um, kind of side effect of robocall spoofing. Uh, and the uh, I mentioned at the beginning of this that uh, I had been hearing this urban legend that, you know, three or four connections away, somebody had heard this story. And shortly after we discovered this phenomenon in our data, uh, I got a, a message from one of our students in the lab that said, uh, hey, Brad, our uh, I'm getting hundreds of calls right now, and a lot of people are asking me why I called them. Do you have any idea what's going on? 
and and this is this is what had happened to him. Uh, now the good news is that uh, this is this phenomenon is is fairly short lived. Uh, it's a matter of hours or maybe a day or two, um, and it's it's terrible that it happens. Um, but there's um, uh, really very little that we can do about it right now. That brings me to a related question. Is there any way a human being can protect their phone number from being spoofed by these companies? I mean, it appears that the answer is no. No, there's there's absolutely nothing you can do. Um, if if I wanted to, I by this afternoon, I could be spoofing calls from the White House. Um, there's there's um, there's nothing technical to that you as a phone owner can do about this. Now, um, that does lead me to a related idea, though, and that is that um, because spoofing is such an important part of the problem, uh, uh, carriers uh, and um, and regulators are working on technical solutions to this problem. Um, and so one of these is called um, Stir and Shaken. It's actually going to be mandated to be deployed by summer of next year um, in 20, uh, I believe July 2021. Uh, the and and so what this is going to do is make it so that if a carrier originates a call, if they start a call. What they do is append uh, what's called a cryptographic signature. And so this is uh, something that is completely unspoofable uh, that says, I originated this call and it, and it actually came from this number. They're not spoofing. And so say AT&T or Verizon or a partner bandwidth would uh, send this information along with the call um, through the network and so that when it gets to your carrier, they can ensure that it wasn't spoofed. Um, and so th there, there is hope um, coming down the line. Unfortunately, this, is, this technique isn't going to work for some of the older telephone infrastructure that is still in place. But, um, and so it's unclear how much of an effect this will have, but uh, people are working on it. And finally, my last question for you, what is the most interesting or the weirdest thing you discovered about robocalls while you were working on this project? Oh, that, that's such a great question. Um, so there's a, there's a few of these. Um, and so uh, the first one was the storms. That was something that we had no expectation of ever discovering. Um, and it felt like real validation uh, that, uh, you know, that having done this study that we could actually say, this is a real thing that happens to people. Um, probably the, the next most surprising thing was we did this study um, and um, as part of it, one of the things that we did was we took um, two groups of 3,000 phone numbers chosen completely at random, and we assigned them to two test conditions. Um, one group was going to um, not answer any calls, and the other was going to answer every single call that they received. And we, we did this test for six weeks. And what we were curious about is whether or not we could actually get more calls by answering them. Uh, we, uh, you know, we're robocall researchers. The more robocalls we get, the better. Uh, and, but what we found was that there, there was no, no difference um, in the two groups. And so what, what we're, we're telling people, and this is, this is practice I'm living by myself um, with no ill effect, is... If you really think it's a robocall, you know, don't answer it. If you do answer it, um, don't be upset. Don't worry that you're going to suddenly get thousands more robocalls. It, it probably won't make a difference. 
Um, and of course, if there's a scammer on the other end, uh, don't engage. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's good life advice in all settings. I believe so. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Brad. That was simultaneously depressing and uplifting. No matter what we do, we're going to get the robocalls, but maybe if you answer it, it doesn't mean you're doomed, so that's good to know. Look for the positive in all things. That is good life advice. We've been speaking today with Brad Reeves, Assistant Professor of Computer Science here at NC State. This has been Audio Abstract. I'm your host, Tracy Peake, and thank you so much for listening.